welcome back to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media. And my friends, it is a momentous day because we are finally putting the FC and FCSM for the 2021 season. So along with my good friends Reese and Armando, we are here to break down the 2021 Sporting Kansas City season preview. And let me preface this with the fact that it's kind of hard to preview a season where we have had the weirdest regular COVID time season last year and strangest off season ever. So this may be more of a soul searching general question season preview, but we'll also talk about some games. I got a question. Yes, sir. Uh, is this a podcast by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans? I was just about to say that. <laughs> I was just about to say he didn't do anything. Podcast for Kansas City fans I mean, or by he did nothing. I thought I would he, try. He's off script. I thought I would totally try something new. It. But you guys caught me. That's fine. No, it's it's great. Uh, well, of course, it's our it's our contentious staple of the podcast. And by the way, for those listening, not only all that mumbo jumbo, but we are the only podcast to cover Kansas City major sports and Kansas City craft beer. So that's when right. You're looking and searching, you cannot find another podcast. It's like pretty us. great. And also, I have to say, speaking of pretty great, uh, Kyle's. We put the FC back in FCSM is fire. And like everybody needs to go back through and listen to old episodes and try and catch some Kyle nuggets because I. I like to think that I throw some Easter eggs in there, but like on second listen of some of these episodes after editing, I'm just like, oh, sh- I missed that. I didn't give him like any props for that joke. It's go back and listen. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely guilty of of <laughs> playing the joke too much. Uh, perhaps as Kansas City might uh, play forward a little bit too much, but we'll talk oh about that. Oh my gosh. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. It was great, but I'm sorry. I, I derailed the conversation uh, a record 67 seconds into the episode. Please continue. You did not. And speaking of derailment and getting the train back on the tracks, we now have the most homegrown players of any roster in Major League Soccer. There's 26 players on MLS rosters, and we have 11 homegrown players. Wow. So my first big question is what does this mean for us in terms of our trajectory over the next three seasons let's say because we come out of the western conference in first place last season make the conference semifinals have an incredibly disappointing game against minnesota which sidebar did we jinx that by calling our first episode of this podcast ever minnesota meltdown during that uh, mls's back tournament yeah no what was the question behind that how did we jinx ourselves in what way well because we were kind of you know it was their Minnesota meltdown, but then we had our own Minnesota meltdown. So did, did we just, you know, crystal ball project our future? I, th- I think maybe. I mean, possibly. I, I defer to the Oracle of 38th Street. The Oracle of 38th Street here. There is no jinxing on this podcast. We give fire and we don't take any of this mumbo jumbo. Harry Potter, Patrick Mahomes over on Royals opening day using his Hermione wand. We don't do that over here. We give fire. We give facts. There is no jinxing happening here. I mean, Minnesota is going to be good, but I think we still are going to stand a chance like we did in a couple of games in August against Minnesota. So, yeah, take that, Minnesota. No jinxing on go. this cast. Well, like th- so the original question, uh, the original question still stands where uh, I would say Matt Beasler departing the club and joining Austin FC is the end of the era. I would say that is the end of the 2013 championship era and this run of seeing sporting Kansas city as a heavyweight, you know, we had a couple down seasons in there. Um, but that, that sort of, uh, 
you know, that year is over. I, I guess that's the only way to say it. And so my question is, do these 11 homegrown players show that we are starting over from the ground up or not? Um, you know, this, this seems very much like the Royals rebuild over the last five years leading up to now where they're like, let's trust the farm, but at the same time, make just enough acquisitions and moves to try and seem like we're being competitive right now. Cause I think the, the, the broad stroke answer to your question, you know, does this, is this a good sign is it's going to depend on if these players are good or not. You know, we, we could call up 11 weak players that really can't, you know, hold their own MLS level, and it doesn't really say much about them. Ar- Armando, what do you got chiming with? You know, and like you said with the Royals, you know, we we can't attract some of the best talent. I know we've been trying this season. I know the past couple of weeks there's been some rumors with some high profile loans, but we're not that team, unfortunately. So we have to have all these homegrown players. So I think it's great because then we can get and we also have a very good MLS or sorry, Sporting KC, too. We, we, we have a pretty good academy. So we should use the players that we have, like like Busio, uh, Felipe. Hernandez Wilson Harris came out of nowhere in the preseason I mean there's so many guys coming out of nowhere um, from our farm system that we need to utilize because we can't get you know messy we can't get all those high profile guys that LAFC is getting and you know Galaxy are getting so yeah I think it's great I don't think we're rebuilding we're reloading I like Armando's take on that as well I don't think it's so much as we're trying to completely reinvent the wheel and blow it up I see it as, you know, what we were running up until now has proven that it doesn't work. You know, we're hitting diminishing returns with players like Zussi just getting an extra year old, or even even great veterans like Espinosa are starting to get up there in age. And subsequently, having to cut ties with Beasler was hard, but it was necessary because, I mean, we saw what happened to the U.S. men's national team before they were able to end the relationship with Donovan, uh, excuse me, Landon Donovan. You know, and just how ugly that whole thing turned. So I, I think it's for the best for moving out from some of our uh, homegrown vets. Yeah, and actually to kind of add to that, it's actually good for for Beasler as well because he's not a starting defender anymore and he went to Austin FC so he could start because he's not going to start here and he's not going to start on a lot of MLS teams. So I think it's a good move for him. It's a good move for us. And Beasler comes back, Austin FC, May 9th on Mother's Day and his mom's here. He's from Kansas City. So that's also kind of cool. That's going to be a, a great game to watch. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, that that all was a leading question because I absolutely agree with both you guys that this does not indicate a rebuild. And um, I'm sure that there are sporting Kansas City haters out there looking at you, RSL, who are going to see, you know, us finishing top of the table and having great expectations kind of get shattered in the playoffs last season and are going to see this as, uh, you know, as a punt. But Obviously, we have to remember Polito was hurt. Also, Polito is back on top on the Mexican national team. So he's going to come into this season with a lot of swag. Like, it's going to be go time. This sort of leads me into my next question, which has to do with the fact that our two biggest signings in this offseason, Remy Walter and Nicholas Izamat Mirin, are a midfielder and a defender. If you go back and look at the receipts from our episodes last season, our inaugural season, this is perfect. This is the FCSM absolute best case scenario that after after we pull out the checkbooks for Polito and try to get a real star. And by the way, that star has amazing speed and versatility and pitch vision, as well as being an elite finisher. Uh, we're starting to bolster that midfield and shore up that defense through a combination of homegrown players and these two offseason signings. Now, keep in mind, Remy Walter, he he played in 
Champions League qualifiers. He played in the Europa League. That's awesome. We'll see how their games translate to MLS. That's always a big question. I think you guys can tell me what you feel about this, but I think the the parity of, of the current state of MLS being different from obviously the early days where it was a couple fat cats at the top, a bunch of pretty bad teams, and then the middle. I think now we're seeing much more of an equal playing ground where a lot of teams can win on any given day. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll see how their games integrate with our team. But I guess the question is, how do you feel about these signings? Good, bad, indifferent? I'll jump in on this first. I think they're good signings. It's showing that we're making an effort. I mean, we're really looking for a defensive identity and a player that can be the captain of that defense in a way we really haven't had since we had Opara running the show back there. And, you know, it's just it's it's a matter of who can step up late in the game, as we saw in the MLS playoffs, where it's like, great, we put a goal away in the stoppage time. All we have to do is hold on for another 90 seconds. Oh, we can't do that. And that's been the song and dance that I've been bemoaning since even, I would say, late 2018. And, man, I would say consistency has been an identity of our team, and unfortunately consistency to a fault has been an identity of our team because this has been a consistent problem that's been lingering with us. Yeah, I, I think both these signings are great. And we've already seen a little bit of, of, of EC Mutt. And he, he actually goes by EC, so I will call him EC. Um, but EC was great. We've already seen a little bit of him, and that's awesome. Both of them, like you said, have incredible experience in the international level. I mean, EC played in Turkey. Um, he played in the Dutch league as well. Like he's done a lot of great stuff. So I'm super excited to see him. He's very young. And then Remy Walter has a lot of versatility right now. He plays, he plays eight, but he can also play the six, which is really nice. And there's a lot of positional awareness that he has. So having those young legs in our defense, which is something that we talked about last year, we needed to improve on defense, and we did. And look at this is where Beasler was, right? So we 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 went from having <laughs> Beasler, who's kind of on the end, the old guard, to now having EC there, and EC is incredibly versatile, just like I said, very athletic. So great acquisitions from France. Let's go. Let me follow up that question with. Um pointing out uh, at least on the sporting kansas city uh fan boards there's there's a ton of uh bobby witt adjacent predictions about who we're gonna see uh suit up for the for for the starting squad in kansas city this season and so there's a lot of um speculation that we could see grayson barber start for us this year you know i think that that would be a good thing maybe another hallmark that we're entering a new era is that I'm hoping that Vermees doesn't just stick to the same guns even when the strategies aren't working. I think we saw a lot last season of, you know, Vermees being unwilling to adapt when something wasn't working. And so I'm hoping these 11 out of the 26 being homegrown younger players are going to show a shift in that strategy. But Kyle, where where do we put Grayson Barber if, if we already have Busio and then Kinda's there as well? Is he going to replace like Sheldon or... Where do you I see mean, Barber there's, going? There's a lot of people who are like low stocks on Kyrie Shelton. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think the injury has a lot to do with that. Um, I would, you know, I, I would say that if Shelton's out, um, I could see if Barber really delivers for Sporting Kansas City too. If they wind up sending him back there and he plays for them at all, yeah. I mean, I could totally see them giving him a shot. 
Yeah, that's fair. I actually really like Wilson Harris. I mean, I like Barber as well, but I think Wilson Harris, if we have to make a comparison to Bobby Witt Jr., then we should do it with Wilson because he had three goals in that in one of those games. But of course, like Grayson, Grayson Barber is still a very well-rounded player. I'm going to put money. Hot Take Mondo's putting money as the star to watch, the young guy to watch. I'm watching Wilson Harris in 2021. We're we're coming for you, Real Salt Lake. It's a pretty good take. He had, what, three goals against uh, Phoenix Rising in that preseason friendly? Yeah. And, of course, it's Phoenix Rising, but still, Wilson Harris hasn't seen. He has no experience, comes in there, has swagger, has athleticism, and does a 3-0 punch. I mean, that's amazing. Well, if I'm not mistaken, didn't we lose to Phoenix Rising last time we had a preseason friendly against them? Dum, dum, dum. Like that could be fake news. I, I don't know. <laughs> I will go back and do some stat researching, but uh, don't let me. But also, if it's if it's a friendly, then hopefully, like, no one, like, hopefully Tim Millie wasn't playing and, like, Zeusy and it was, like, our scrubs. I mean, it, it could be, but I still don't like losing to a uh, USL squad. Just ask the men's under-20 national team. Reese, speaking of the U.S. men's under-20 national team, we signed a backup goalkeeper, Kendall McIntosh, who played for the U.S. men's under-20 national team. He's 25 now, but uh, I think it's awesome that we're going to try to take a, take a look at a guy to maybe uh, succeed Tim Melia eventually. Oh, I think that's huge. That's a great point because Melia is turning 34 this year, and while he has been arguably top 10 in the world at stopping penalty kicks, you know, father time remains undefeated unless your name is uh, Jean-Louis Buffon. But the important thing is, even guys like him eventually meet their twilight. And since we're talking on the subject of moving on from, you know, a lot of these just like franchise stalwart starters, you know, it's like we're looking at probably the twilight of Zussi coming up pretty soon, Espinoza. And I think it's a, it's a very good chance Melio might be part of that same crop. And subsequently, if we haven't had our defense shored up by that point, which is a really real possibility, we don't want to be caught with our pants down having a subpar defense being backed by a subpar goalkeeper. So I like the concept that we have a, a guy with experience in Kendall McIntosh, as well as the guy we just signed from our... Pulse Camp. Uh, yes, thank you. Pulse Camp. So I'm, I'm happy we got those guys kind of in the wing. I will be excited to see where that position develops over the next two, three seasons. I think I'm the most excited because who did I hate for that the first three episodes of our podcast? Well, actually, maybe the first two. Richard Sanchez. Goodbye, Richard Sanchez. Oh my goodness. What a I think that's more important than anybody else being called up because Richard Sanchez was next to Melia, unfortunately. Um, and boy was it boy was it rough. He saw two games and never saw anything else again. Goodbye, Mr. Sanchez. I'm excited for our young guys, especially Paul Scamp, who's gonna be probably number two. Um, and as you guys know, like keepers tend to age like fine wines like young keepers are normally not good it's when you are in your 30s plus is when you start to get uh, to be a solidified goalie a solidified keeper so I think it's great like you said Mila's in his twilight he can really bring up some of these young guys I mean who 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 better to bring up young guys than to Melia so great pickup super excited that's a great segue because personnel has been a huge part of the Sporting KC mythology over the past 10 years, right? From Beesler and Zussi, from Jimmy uh, in goal, blocking that last penalty in the 2013 uh, MLS Cup. Even to, you know, Peter Vermees has his own sort of cult of... Oh my God. Peter Vermees has his own cult of personality, honestly. 
So my question is, where are we on the Vermees watch? How much of our success and failure has been directly linked to his leadership? And how much of it is more linked, again, to personnel? Because Tim Mealy, you know, he had the year where he was just unstoppable in goal. There's not a ton that Peter Vermees is necessarily doing to affect that. Obviously, our goalkeeping staff may be helping Melia stay in shape, help him tune up, help him prepare for each team. But, you know, I'm not going to blame Vermees for maybe sometimes when Melia will have an occasional dip. Uh, but I will possibly blame Vermees when we seem to not be making basic adjustments in the lineup in the formation. So I'm curious where you guys stand on Vermees Watch 2021. Well, I think a lot of that's going to be seen at the end of this year because I would say this is really the first year where he's going to be trying to address that midfield and defense situation. And, you know, he's he's tried stopping that by saying the best defense is a good offense. And as we saw last year, it still wasn't quite enough. So this year he's going straight and attacking that ball right by the horns and seeing if he can shore up the defense with these signings. Uh, if that is still not enough and we're still giving up late game goals for the third or fourth consecutive year, I think that's the point where the argument of is Vermees a better front office executive or co- like strategic sidelines guy going to really show up and it could be a lot like Andy Reid of the Philadelphia Eagles saying, like, are, are we happy with being consistently good but not being able to actually, like, get the rock to the top of the mountain? Or do we want to try and, like, soft blow this thing up and start over again? You know, I I, I kind of agree with you there because Peter Vermees, to me, not actually is uh, Andy Reid, but he's kind of John Dorsey, where we're seeing a lot of these young guys that he's developed and that he's scouted come up. I mean, to, to Kyle's fact, we have 11 of our young guys as homegrown people, and that is Peter Vermees. I mean, Peter Vermees is the longest head coach that we've had in um, in sporting, and he's the fifth winningest coach in, in MLS history. So, of course, he has a really, you know, he has a really good reputation as a coach and as a developer as well so this year is important because we're going to see guys like Busio you know really come into his own uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about Busio later but I do want to share a story about Busio wanting to change his number to number 10 because those are all the hot shots right and and Peter Vermees didn't hear from Busio he actually heard from the like Jersey guy that like walked up to Peter Vermees and I was like hey did you know Busio is changing his, his number to 10 and he was like what and then Peter Vermees like walked into the locker room he was like hey Busio are you changing your number to 10 he's like yep he's like do you know that that's a big responsibility to change your number to something like number 10 he's like yes I think I'm ready and he said all right let's go so I think that's really cool I I think it's just interesting to see the development and this year if we see guys like Busio you know guys like uh, in that caliber grow then he's off the hot seat Let's see it. Do you think that we would put more respect on Peter Vermees' name? I'm not saying that he was totally in the doghouse on every episode last season, but we definitely were not particularly nice a couple times. Do you think that we would put more respect on his name if MLS was as big as like the NBA back in the 90s and 2000s when he won a title as a player? When you think about the, the same example in different major sports... Uh, players who wanted to, I, I mean, uh, the most recent example is Patrick Ewing coaching Georgetown, right? Like we put a ton of respect on his name because of his work with the Knicks. And so I feel like people have forgotten that Vermees was an excellent player. It's just the league was in a different place back then. Right. And so I'm the last defender of the year. Yeah. And so um, I'm curious if, 
And, and, and honestly, I think that's maybe a good thing because I think we should be critical uh, and, and, and not sort of hero worship. I'm just curious if you guys have any thoughts about that. Oh, I was going to say, well, I mean, if you just look at 2020, he was he was 12, 6 and 3 in 2018. He was 18, 8 and 8, 2017, 29 and 13, 2019 wasn't great, but 2017, 18 and 2020 are all winning seasons. So I think we should give him a chance for another year, at least. And and again, I'll, I'll harp on that young development. Let's see what happens there. Well, then, but the question you got to look at is he's being consistently good. I would say we seem to be consistently like a conference semifinal team at best. But is he overachieving every year with the talent he has in doing that? Or is he underachieving at keep hitting that glass ceiling with the talent he has? And I think that's a big question that needs to be asked because I think we have as much talent as anybody else in this league. But kind of to, to what Kyle said, if we're going to use other leagues as a measuring stick for how good he should be doing, you know, it, it's different if you're Greg Popovich and you're consistently good for 10, 15 years. And like there is the Spurs and some of the other top teams in the league. And then there's teams, obviously, that aren't as good as the Spurs versus as you brought up earlier in the podcast, there's such parity in the MLS. It's like, OK, is it good enough to be making like a second round playoff exit every year when it seems that just about anybody can stumble into a second round playoff exit? Well, I think that's a really good point. And also that leads me to the question of whether these two recent signings and actually if you trace it all the way back to Polito signing the star and then getting Walter and EC, like you said, in 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 recent weeks, um, I feel like this is maybe a lesson from the LAFC Atlanta United School of Team Building. <laughs> Where it's uh, when you're building an expansion team from scratch, the blueprint seems to be get a star who can really score, but make sure you have a complete team beyond that. Uh, Because, again, I think because the whole league is getting really competitive. And, uh, you know, of course, soccer is not a game where you can lean on one player completely anyway. But, um, you know, the age of like, uh, shall we say the age of worshiping a guy like Dom Dwyer is in the past because even even Carlos Vela is not is not guaranteed right to win the title every year, even though he's transcendent. Right. And so I'm curious if, uh, you know, if it, people gave Sporting Kansas City a lot of credit back in 2013 for bringing in veterans um, to bolster the team. I, I mean, shoot. Aurelian Collin was like one of the heroes besides Jimmy of the, uh, of the, of the, of the MLS cup run. And like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to um, malign his name or anything, but that would have been a hot take going into that season, I would say. Uh, and so I'm curious if now we're seeing our team having to catch up to the rest of the league in terms of who's been really successful in the last two seasons. And to me, that's LAFC in Atlanta. Well, I mean, I don't think you can question that we've been successful. I think, and I think I've likened this on the podcast before, Sporting Kansas City very much feels like the St. Louis Cardinals of the MLS, where it's like, you know they're going to be good every year. You know they're going to be in the playoffs every year. Are they going to win the World Series or MLS Cup this year? Mm, I wouldn't put money on it. So the question is, is that good enough for you as a fan base? Now, the Cards being the best fans of baseball, it seems to be good enough for them. But is that good enough for us in Sporting Kansas City when we're seeing other squads such as Seattle seemingly hitting that finals marker, not always winning it, but getting to that finish line more often than not? And teams like LA Galaxy even, who can seem to put it together for two to three year spurts where they are seriously every year competitive to the point it's like they could win the MLS Cup this year. Do you remember, though? Do you remember how bad they were last year? 
Uh, they, they were terrible, but like I, they put all their chips in going into the Zlatan and it almost worked, you know? So that's, that's all I'm saying is they seem to either go all in or they fall back. So which would you rather be? Oh, well, I was, I, I was going to say, I see you guys being just slightly pessimistic because of the history that we've had. But if we take off our MLS cup playoff goggles, we were, we were first in the Western conference. We were 12, six and three. We had a plus 13 goal differential, which is great, right? We, we just need to continue that when when it matters the most. And I understand that. But a full season with a healthy Polito, you know, Johnny Russell, uh, officially the new captain, Tamelia, we'll see what Busio does. I'm actually pretty excited. And then, of course, our two French players who, who knows, they could be really, really good or average. But if they're really, really good, Let's go. Armando, you have become the me of this podcast. Do you realize this? What does that mean? That was like (laughs) an absolute moderator take. Well, actually, that's that, that's true. You're always like, you guys need to take a step back and understand that Mitchell Schwartz is actually okay. Why are you making me sound like Nicolas Cage? Are you third eye blind? Because I'm going to wish you would step back from that ledge, my friends. Oh, gosh. So I've got another question for you then. Just while I'm going to I'm going to unsubscribe. Oh, geez. I'm going to I unsubscribe, too. I'm sorry, guys. No, but I got a question for you then. If we're going to talk about, you know, how how do we judge success here? And, you know, what do we expect the team to be going into every year? Do we expect to be MLS Cup contenders every year because we believe we have a squad that can realistically win the MLS Cup? Or do we believe we could win the MLS Cup every year because we're sporting Kansas City and it's our birthright? I'm serious Listen, in asking this. Let's, uh, let me make the Cardinals analogy again, like you just did, and say that I've talked to a ton of Cardinals fans and none of them like Mike Matheny at all because he never got them to a title after yeah. the after their yeah, last one. Yeah, they all one. hate him. You're right. And... As a non-Cardinals fan, I look at that and I'm like, I think it's great that we have Matheny. He made a perennial contender, or I should say he kept a contender perennial, maybe is, is, is a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. But that's great for us. Um, but it just, you know, I, I, I think you raise a good point where, you know, it's what are we looking for? I actually have to say that now that you phrase it like that, I'm happy to just be competitive every year. Yeah, I think that's my answer. Well, okay then, but I understand then. Let's say we move on from Peter Vermees. Like, if I'm a club foot Montreal and I get Peter Vermees, and suddenly, you know, we go from being like the dumpster to contending for a playoff spot, that's great. If I'm the 22, or if I'm the 2012 Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid falls into our lap after being bad for the better part of a decade, am I content with just Alex Smith and kind of making the playoffs? I am for a good long while. However, we've been Andy Reid with Alex Smith contending for the playoffs a good long while, and Personally, I'm getting tired of banging my head against that glass ceiling. So I want to see some sort of change that makes me believe more than just fan goggle optimism that we can realistically win the MLS Cup. Also, let me just say that the MLS Cup is kind of garbage. That That's my hot take. I'll pay a hundred bucks for a jersey if there's an extra <laughs> star on there. Because no other league in the world does this. Yeah, but we're no other club. Champions League does it, and it's awesome. But that's taking just incredible (laughs) clubs from different leagues throughout many nations and throwing them together for an epic battle royale, which we'll talk about Leagues Cup later in another episode. go off script on this one and just say 
Welcome to the part of the podcast where beer happens. <laughs> no. Fine. I won't be fresh. I won't be spontaneous. Welcome to everyone's favorite time of the podcast, and that would be the beer review segment. And as you all know, the beer review segment also contains a little thing we call This Week in Craft Beer. I know you all thought it'd be gone by now, but no, it's still here. It's still here. Blam, blam, blam. Just like Sporting KC is still here. Even though we didn't have a good playoff run, we're still here, exactly. baby. We are the cockroaches of uh, MLS. It's great. <laughs> it's great. But much more slick. We actually didn't talk about the kits, by the oh, way. Dude, I got so much to talk about. We'll talk about the kits during our live stream All right. coming. <gasps> kits still next time. Stay tuned, ladies what? and gentlemen. Anyway, so this week in craft beer, uh, I'm kind of excited about this. I always find these things interesting. Uh, Brewers Association has released the top 50 brewing companies by sales volume for 2020. And, you know, you got to take all this with a grain of salt. 2020 was a weird year for everybody, guys. I don't know why. What could have happened? But it was a weird year for everybody. I just want to go through maybe like the top 10 uh, volume producing craft breweries in the United States. We got, we got time to do that? All right. So this one is interesting to me. Uh, number one. Now, I always knew these guys. Don't don't say it because I, I want to guess right. them. Number one. Take your guess. Uh, I don't know if they still count as craft beer, but is it Sierra Nevada? It is not Sierra Nevada. Is Sierra Nevada on the list? They're on the list. Oh, interesting. Oh, shoot. What is it? Was it Yingling? It's Yingling. They're number one. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because I think my entire time I've been at Boulevard, they've been number two. And the joke being like, they're the second biggest craft brewery in the country, even though they only make one beer. And that is Yingling. There so, it is. That's funny. Uh, moving down to number two, then what used to be the godfather of biggest craft beer sales. I'm gonna don't tell me. I, I know you can get this one. Is it you guys? No, 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 no. Oh, wait. The godfather of craft beer? Yeah. Did I say Sierra Nevada? No. The these guys are the godfather. They're. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you for sure. I believe they are the OG, and they keep adjusting the definition of how much beer you can make to be considered craft just to keep these guys in the list still every year. What? Oh, man. Uh, don't tell me, because this is actually really interesting. Um, let me guess two more, and then uh, and then you can tell me. Uh, founders? Nope. Uh, they adjust. Oh, G Goose Island? No, I can't believe All you right. got Youngling, but you didn't get this one. <laughs> what is it? Boston Beer Company. Ah, uh, Sam, Sam Adams. All right, fine. So they they're in number two. Okay, fine. Number three, Armando. What could number three possibly be? Uh, Sierra Nevada. <laughs> Good job, Sierra Nevada in at number three. <laughs> Moving up from number five this year, number four is Duval Mort got USA. There so we go, Boulevard, the, baby. Well, the caveat I gotta say is that that counts as Firestone Walker plus Boulevard plus Oma Gang. So don't I, I don't think Boulevard's only on this list by themselves. We rarely are, but I believe in terms of volume, we usually hang somewhere between number ten to number thirteen, fourteen. Just Boulevard. Yeah, that's great though. So, that's good for you guys. Rounding out the rest of the top ten, uh, we are looking at Gambrinus or Gambrinus. I can I've heard both to be honest, uh, and that's you know we're looking at Shiner, oh, okay. Shiner. Uh, this one Canarchy. Which uh, city is Longmount, Tampa, Salt Lake City, Cornstalk, Englewood, and Dallas, which makes me wonder if they own uh, Cigar City as one of their subsidiaries. But uh, the more I look up and down this list, the more I'm seeing multiple cities listed. So, I mean, Dual Morgat USA might not be the only, you know, <laughs> brewing company umbrelling. Oh, yeah. No, no. It, it's it's totally the the, the uh, trend right now where they're buying up, you know, like um, the uh, Japanese company that bought up New Belgium. Is it on there? Is it Kier oh, Kieran, Kieran, I think? 
Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, rounding out the rest of this top ten, Bells is number seven. Artisanal Brewing Ventures nice. is number eight. Stone Brewing is number nine. And Deschutes Brewing is number ten. Uh, man, this is just so interesting seeing some of these other guys on here. I mean, geez, the, the teens is like a murderer's row of who's who. I'm going to keep going a little bit. Eleven is Sweetwater. Twelve is New Glarus, which is shocking considering they don't distribute outside of Wisconsin. Uh, 13 is... Who's their brewery? Uh, is it called New Glarus? It's called New Glarus. Like, the, the thing they're known for is called Spotted Cow. Huh, I'm not familiar. I, I, it, it's pretty good. It's a very cult brewery, but I'm surprised they're that big. Uh, 13 is Matt Brewing Co. out of Utica, New York. 14 is Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, 15 is Harpoon Brewery. 16, Stevens Point. 17, Odell. 18, Minus. Minus. 19, Abita. And number 20... Tregs. So, man, that's a uh, that's pretty cool. You got a lot of notable breweries on there. Our boys topping Goliath are at forty three. So, yeah, well, that's great. Good for toppling because toppling has just tapped the surface of National Distro. I know they're really, really trying to get out there because I mean, even us, we get a ton of of toppling Goliath now. I mean, uh, fast or sorry, rewind five months ago mm -hmm. the only thing we got was um pseudo sue and king sue were the only things that we were getting now we're getting the the reaper one we're getting um the sumo one we get a lot of pompeii so yeah they're they're climbing good good for them and it's, it's pretty interesting I'm, I'm really gonna wrap this segment up i'm really talking more about this than uh, everybody wants to hear about oh no i love it no I, I, it's interesting to me at uh, least they they also rank the top 50 overall brewing companies in terms of volume and honestly uh the fact that Youngling, you know, the number one craft brewing by volume, shows up at number seven, uh, says that they're really closing the gap on these guys. Uh, number one is Anheuser-Busch, two is Molson Coors, three is Constellation, uh, which I believe uh, is like uh, Corona and I think Ballast Point, some other ones. Uh, four is Heineken and five is Pabst. Six is, man, I've never heard of this, uh, Diot. Di Diageo? D-I-A-G-E-O. You ever seen that? Uh, spell it one more time. D-I-A-G-E-O. And they're out of Norwalk, Connecticut. I have no idea what that would have been. I don't know what that is. And then, uh, yeah, you got Youngling and Sierra Nevada's there. Uh, Duval USA is at 13. So, not too shabby. Not Diageo's too shabby. Guinness. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. So, the price is right. Anyway, Armando, speaking of beer, all this beer talk has made me very thirsty. What are you sipping on today? Today, I'm not sipping on anything related to American insurance, or you could have been doing the office uh, tagline at the very end of the office. Uh, nice. Because they both sound the same, by the way. But today, I'm going to be reviewing Ninja versus Unicorn, a double IPA from Pipeworks Brewing Company. You won't believe this. I have that in my fridge and was going to review it tonight <laughs> if you weren't going to review a beer. <laughs> What are the? I kid you not. Dude, well, okay, wait. First of all, let's let's tell our viewers how rare that would be. <laughs> okay, Pipeworks is from Chicago. They are not National Distro. They have very few liquor stores that they give to. And I just happened to grab it. I was gonna grab something else, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I have Pipeworks, which is a really good brewery. How did you get Pipeworks? I, I, there's so you know you know how you have your store in Colorado like gets you the hookups. Uh, 
there's a new uh, craft beer winery store in the crossroads called The Pairing, and they are my dream come true because they have like coolers full of, you know, mix six yes. style, you know, picking. You can get six packs, but you can also do mix six. And I saw this and I'm like, wow, that would be a really cool beer to review on the podcast. I'm going to keep it in the fridge for when the time is right. But the odds of us getting the exact same craft beer, not just company. This has to be less than a 10% chance that this would happen. Less than 10. Oh, far less. I just listed off how many people are making craft beer these days. Oh, my goodness. That is so funny. Holy crap. Oh, my gosh. Well, Well, do you... Do you, do you want to do it or I mean I'll I'll yeah, do it. Let's do it. This, this the sheer staggering statistics of it just blow my mind. So Grab it baby. Let's Armando, let's double it again. D- double it? Yeah, bring get 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 yours out and we'll uh we'll do them pairing. Time <laughs> out. I mean, what are the chances, right? We have to do it. Here it is. So wild. Oh my goodness. Proof I'm not welching. <laughs> Oh my god. That's go- incredible. And did did he recommend it at all or you just picked it out? No, I just picked it out. I'm like, this seems like wow. one of those beers that Armando would find at his beer store in Colorado. <laughs> Lo and behold, you you know me to a T because I totally like I said, I was totally gonna get a Pilsner for Easter. Like I was just gonna throw some stuff back because I was smoking a ham. So I was like, it's gonna take me eight hours. I'm just gonna like pull back a six pack. Uh, but then I saw Pipeworks and I was like, Oh my god, I've never had Pipeworks before. I gotta try it because Piper's really good. That's that's incredible. crazy, dude. That's wild. Well, Jeepers, let's same song and dance as Heady Topper, baby. Uh, we're gonna snake I know, that's draft wild. this. So, should we crack them in unison? Let's crack them in unison. But before we do that, just want to uh, shout out Pipeworks. So, this on uh, Beer Advocate is ranked the 113th best IPA out there. Which I know that that sounds like not a big deal, but it is like 113 beers in the whole world. Like it's up there. It has a 95 rating, which is a world class rating. So, super excited. Super excited. All right. All right. Here we go. Three. One. Oh, three, two, one. Beer. <laughs> Which is also an inside joke because when our connections were awful, that's how we would figure out uh, how much I lagged. Way back in the COVID days when bandwidth was as valuable as gold to a night. When I was like three seconds behind. Yeah. For those of you listening, it you know, podcasts seem easy. They're not easy, especially when you have your other buddies living in different states with different Wi-Fi connections. Well, I'm the one butting in on your date here, Armando. So why don't you kick us off? What is the aroma on this beer? (laughs) All right. Aroma on this guy. Let me give it a quick smell. Aroma's aroma's super good. So with double IPAs, I really like them because they are a little less dank than regular IPAs. You get a little more hop, which is a little more sweet. And right now I'm getting a ton of like sweet stuff on it. I mean, I'm getting cotton candy. I'm getting orange. I'm getting pineapple on the nose. It smells super good. I'm going to give this a 9.2. Yeah, I'm up there with you. Uh, A lot of orange, pineapple, and mango in this guy. The cotton candy is interesting. I don't think I would have been able to put my uh, finger on that, but definitely getting cotton candy in there. Yeah, I'm only thinking cotton candy because it's so sweet on the nose. You know, normally you would get some other features, but right now I'm getting like a ton of sugar. You know, it smells kind of similar to that cult following I reviewed from City Barrel. So maybe there's some Mexican vanilla in this. Who knows? But I'm going to give Aroma... That's a 9.1. That's a very solid and respectable Aroma. All right. Snake Draft. How's the appearance on that? 
Okay, appearance on this one is also very much like Cult Following. It's not quite as dark of a colored goldenrod orange, but I mean, that's uh, that's the color of your screwdriver handle right there, friends, when you walk into Ace Hardware Store. <laughs> it's, it's deceptively hazy. Uh, it looks like it should be clear. You don't see a whole lot of action going on in regards to uh, carbonation in there any sediment but like i can barely see my hand on the other side of the glass it's deceptively hazy oh so uh for that cool magic trick alone i'm gonna give the appearance on this crisp clean 9.0 Ooh, and and you know what's funny is mine looks a lot clearer than i would have thought this looks um like i don't know if you can see it on my end but um yeah let's see how can i test it so you can see it like if i put no, my I finger on the other side you can see my finger but i'm looking at yours and you can't so that is strange i'm curious as to how they're going to taste but we had the similar smell profile so that's interesting i have a ton of head on mine look at mine so pretty good carb on this guy wow, and yeah it's that. super clear which is something that you would see in a west coast but again this is um Actually, I don't know. This could be kind of a New England and West. It doesn't say if it's a West, but um, yeah, this should be interesting. I think it's more New England style, um, but appearance does not look that way, but it looks clean. I'm excited. It's probably going to be a clean beer. So um, how about an 8.6? 0.6. All right. Snake draft. All right, Armando, <laughs> break the seal on flavor on this guy. What am I in for? All right, here we go. Well, why don't we drink it at the same time and then I'll tell you so that I don't influence what you drink. Fair deal. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. Oh, that's super good. Um, so this one, like like I saw, there's a lot of head on it, and I'm getting a ton of carb as well. A really good balance of dank and sweet, though, which I really like. I mean, you do get a lot of bitterness, which I wouldn't get from maybe another double IPA. But with that bitterness, there's also some smoothness of that pineapple flavor, that orange flavor. That's really nice. Even just a slight bit of orange rind, which I've done with other double IPAs. Um, but that is a great mix. A 9.7 for me on flavor. Wonderful flavor. Here's the thing for me. I definitely got a lot of aroma on here. The flavor is much more subtle, I don't want to say muted, but muted than I would have thought given the yeah, aroma on it. I agree. Now, fun fact to everybody, everybody tastes beers differently. It's just like, it's like everyone's got a different fingerprint, everyone's got a different like taste bud tongue profile. So I'm not saying there's no flavor to this, but whereas I mentioned it kind of smelled, it kind of looked like that apricot sour IPA I reviewed a few weeks ago. This to me is much more in line with how like the calling tastes from Boulevard, which is another double IPA that clocks in oh, right around 8%. Oh, good, good comparison. So, so subsequently, I'm getting much more of kind of like a West Coasty hot bitterness from it. A little bit of dankness, not so much the tropical fruit notes that I got on the nose. So again, this beer is just full of magic tricks, much like a ninja fighting a unicorn. So the flavor, <laughs> while not, sorry, the flavor, while not what I expected, is not bad. I think I'm going to give this an 8.6 on flavor. Solid. And, and you know, I actually agree with what you said there because... The dankness of it definitely takes away from that smell profile that we had of all the tropical fruits. Um, that kind of cuts into what I expected it to be just like you did. But I guess I'm kind of feeling a, a West Coast right now because I don't know. It tastes oh, yeah. yummy to me. <laughs> but no, great. But that's still like a very legitimate one. And I'm actually getting a lot of like almost apple juice now, which is weird. But I like it. I can see that. I can see that. All right. 
Is it, is it snake draft back to me, mouthfeel? We are mouthfeel for you, Reese. All right, mouthfeel. I mentioned there wasn't a lot of carbonation action in my glass itself. I think you get that in the mouth. It's a very smooth mouthfeel. It goes down easy. I would say medium bodied. I get a lot of bitterness on the sides and back of my tongue. But overall, it's very easy drinking, dare I say, dangerously crushable coming in at 8% in a tall boy. So mouthfeel on this one, I'm I'm actually going to give it pretty high. I'm going to give it an 8.8. Solid. I love that. Um, sorry, I, I was I was reading, and I think there's more to the story of Ninja versus Unicorn. I think it also alludes to style, so West and East Coast style, possibly. So it's like a combination of both, as well as a ton of hops. Like it's supposed to be just this like um, it says it's brewed with with over five pounds of hops per barrel, which Whoa. is nasty. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But I think it's all supposed to show different style West and East Coast. Um, but anyway, mouthfeel. Yeah, mouthfeel on this guy is um, it's pretty light. It's not heavy at all, which is strange for a double IPA. Uh, pretty smooth. Getting a lot of carb on the mouth as well which kind of adds to the light. So I'm getting like a light crisp feel. Uh, I think I also saw that they use Pilsner hops in this and you can totally tell with it, um, that light crispy feel, which I like right now. Um, and those of you that listen to all of my beer reviews, I love smooth, but right now I'm kind of in the crispy mood. Um, how about an 8.9? All right. So we're pretty close on that one. All right. Number five, then we're looking at aftertaste. How does this beer differentiate coming up? than it does going down. Yeah, so it's a little smoother in the front half. Um, you get more of that carb, more of that bite towards the end, which I guess is the more that I do beer reviews, the more that I notice that in beers. It's kind of funny. The more that we're doing these, uh, we're also learning on the fly. And I'm starting to see that trend with beer. And I don't know the science behind it, but I do get a ton of that crisp that I get in the mouthfeel on the aftertaste, which kind of... Um, takes away from more of the melon and the apple and the orange that I feel in the flavor. Um, so aftertaste is a little different, but I like it. It's nice. And, and because of that Pilsner malt, it gives me that lighter feel. And I guess I'm kind of in the mood for that. And for those of you out there, this is not a lighter beer. It is 8%. So I can probably kick a few of these back, but then I'm going to regret it because it's a Monday. Um, so how about, be, again, just because I'm in the mood, I like it. It's great. Uh, 9.1. Yeah, I like the aftertaste on this one. As we mentioned, we get a little bit of the fruit notes going down. Coming back up, though, it's all about the hot, baby. It's very bitter. Uh, it has more of that classic West West Coast taste coming up. Man, that's hard to say. <laughs> and, you know, it's you, you get that kind of citrusy bitterness that you would out of a lot of those old school and West Coast IPAs. You know, I like it a lot. I think it's a great flavor. I'm going to give the aftertaste on this one 8.7. All right. Now, for last but not least, Reese, the the gaudy kinda component. <laughs> the gaudy kinda component, the big stonks <laughs> drinkability quotient. All right. So, I think on this one, obviously, I'm going to be honest. I got this because of the can art. Anyone that says otherwise, you know, that like marketing doesn't oh, it's work. It's totally to cool. Yeah. I, I said I got this beer because I saw it. I'm like, that looks like one of those cool things Armando would get at his Denver <laughs> beer store. And lo and behold, I it's got the it. fact it's that the, it's true. <laughs> I love that. It's like, it's like 
It's parent trap, guys. It's parent trap. It's crazy. So, Reese, can you so, also get single cans at this liquor store? Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's how I got this oh, one. It's a single can. I sorry. I, I I thought that it had to be a six. You had to get different six. But can you just grab one can? You know, like every week. Yeah. No, and that, that's why I love this store so much. Is like that's how I want to try new beers. I, I don't. I was gonna say that's exactly what I do at this one. I just say, hey, give me a new IPA that just came on the shelf. Yeah. And then the guy from the back of liquor stores like pipe works. Beer is so expensive nowadays, especially good craft beer like i don't want to commit 15 bucks exactly single can there you go amen so you know what dude. uh because of what went into this beer review uh all these things considered i'm giving this a very solid 9.8 on the big stonks yes yes i'm i'm gonna double down on that because again the chances that we would have the exact same beer that is not a national distro beer that is just a rand i mean it's not a random beer but it's a very good beer from a very good company in chicago but the chance that we would get it within the same year would be three percent on the same and the same we could have done the beer review on the same day 9.8 as well what an honor, Reese. So, the, the honor is, is all mine, my friend. Oh, man. But, that's like, the idea of playoffs in soccer is just kind of dumb. I said it. Uh, Mondo's oh. waiting patiently. Oh, well, okay, well, that's another can of worms, so if you want to keep going on that, go on it, but if not, I'm going to throw Reese's argument at him. Uh-oh. So, Reese's, Reese's argument is that we have a history as Sporting KC to be competitive, but never be the the darling at the ball, perhaps. We do! But if you look at our, but if you look at our starting lineup, we, we shouldn't put that history on so many new faces that are probably going to be in the starting lineup, right? Sheldon, Pulido, Buzio, Kinda, Isi, um, and of course the, there, there's others as well that are not starters. So I think we should give them a chance, give them a full year, a non-COVID year. You know things are coming back. So as you, so as you see, this is a going to be a post-COVID world. Let's give these young guys a chance. Let's give these new guys a chance and see what they can do. I like it. We'll return to my uh, possibly terrible take about uh, playoffs in soccer. Another podcast. Okay, it's time for a lightning round, you guys. Beasler to Austin FC. How do you feel about it? Knee-jerk reaction. Love it. Great. Great for both. I agree. It's veteran leadership. Like I said, we kind of ended that relationship before it got messy. We had to divvy up whose China was whose. And I'm glad that Austin's got a uh, premier MLS star on their team. Richard Sanchez is gone. How do we feel about it? Just kidding. Don't even need to answer that. Stonks. Yeah, I, I got to say, ep- epic stonks. And uh, I got to give a shout out because uh, I was not thinking of Pulse Camp. I was thinking of Brooks Thompson as the young goalie we just signed. Uh, so we are running. when th- Hassal was going to come on the podcast and then he ghosted us? I remember. Oh, dude. Yeah, why don't, why don't we air out the laundry now? Because Hassal, okay, this is what happened. So when we started this podcast, we were so excited. And, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to D, I'm going to cold D people so after the Hassal you know wonderful game I had messaged him on Instagram and was like hey would love to have the podcast to talk about the game and he said yes and it wasn't just one we had been talking for almost a week and then ghosted 
Absolutely ghosted. Hassal, we're watching. You're on my watch list now. How dare you? We were going to make it, but also, why were we going to have you on the podcast anyway? This is a Sporting KC podcast, not a Hassal podcast. Well, I got to ask, uh, where is Hassal this year? Did anybody look that up? Is he still with... Uh... He's he's still in Vancouver. <laughs> Fine. Whatever. <laughs> well, to, to Hassal's defense, he was still nice, I guess, but then he just ghosted me. Next in the lightning round, uh, did we jinx ourselves by calling our inaugural episode Minnesota Meltdown? No. No, I still don't see, I mean, w- w- we said that we melted down in the MLS's back tournament. We said it's very likely that we would lose the same way we lost in the MLS's back tournament in the playoffs, and that's exactly what happened. Oh, and wah, wah. Okay, last in the lightning round. Gerso is gone. How do we feel about it? It sucks. I think it sucks because he re- rejected our offer, and he was playing really well, and now he's in South Korea, so good luck in South Korea. Yeah. But it sucks because I think it would have been great to have him on this team. He's a luxury super sub. He had a great left foot, not so great light, right foot, and I think he wanted to be a starter. And I think the fact that nobody in MLS wanted to make him a starter, and he had to go to Korea to be a starter, speaks volumes. All right. Let's wrap this episode up with our top of season preview. Uh, I want to talk about the first four games in the season. We start off at Red Bulls, then we play Orlando City at home, then we play at RSL, and then we play Austin at home. And at first glance, that could be a little bit of an underwhelming schedule in terms of excitement level. But I think it's actually pretty exciting because especially playing Red Bulls in Orlando, teams that we don't see a ton and teams that we don't particularly have a huge rivalry with, those are great opportunities to look at some of these new guys especially in the substitutions great opportunities to try to get some chemistry going opportunities to see how what we learned in the preseason can translate so i think i think this is a perfect first two matches for us i mean i'm just happy it's not minnesota real salt lake colorado (laughs) or who was the other one we played dallas oh my gosh anybody but them so mls is back jeez yeah no i'm I think it's a good, it'll be a good measuring stick. You know, like you said, these are teams we don't usually see all the time, so they can't be used to playing our 4-3-3 like everybody else seems to be. So, I, you know, I would definitely like to come out of here with at least four points. If we come out with less than four points, I'll be a little concerned on the season. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting three games at least because I think the uh, the uh, New York Red Bulls don't even know who the New York Red Bulls are right now. Like, Struber is going to be Struber's first year, and, and he's known to have this high-pressure defense so that's going to be interesting to see with our guys, you know, to see how how we're going to um, play with with a different system like like Stuber's system. And then I'm actually excited to see Aaron Long, who was a former MLS Defender of the Year, and see how we do against him too. So there's a lot of unknowns on that team. They could be hot, they could be cold. I don't know, but I hope we beat them. And Orlando's really good, I think. Or- Orlando actually has some pretty good players. Um, I think his name is Pa. pa- Pareja, I think is his name. There's a lot of, of these guys I won't pronounce right, so I apologize to all you, but I'm sure you don't know Pareja either. But, I butchered um, Isi's name. But, I'm sorry about that. Pareja's great. Nani's great. Um, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully we can pull one out there. And then RSL, we're coming for you, and we're going to blow you out. I'm going to agree with Reese that four points out of those first two games are a must, but I'll also agree with Armando that that's not a guarantee. I think it's easy to see Red Bulls as an easy win. On paper, they should lose to us at probably seven times out of ten. But again, first game of the season, you don't know. And Orlando's real good. We played them last year. And so I think um, I think a draw would be a good takeaway from that match. So yeah, f- four points out of the first two. RSL, man, we should just beat them every time. They're, they're I mean, they're they're so down over the last couple of years. And it just it's always a contest and it just grinds my gears. So yeah. 
That's that's the real opener for me. Yeah, that's that's really fair. And I, I think getting uh getting four points in our first two matchups, no fewer than five in the first three is gonna be really important. Because I don't know if you guys have seen the preseason uh predictions for the Western Conference right now, but we're sitting at five, which unfortunately I think is probably right about where we should be. You know, we gotta look up at uh, LAFC, Minnesota. Even though I don't think the gap between us and Minnesota is nearly as big as other people do. I did. That's recency bias for their run in the playoffs last year. But we still got Portland and Seattle sitting above us. Yeah. And then below us, we have Austin FC, Dallas, and Colorado, which, you know, it's I, I think that's right where we should be. We're better than the last three teams I listed, but I can't say we're definitively better or as good as the first four above us. Something to mention about our first three games, uh, the they're, they're saying that, that, that the U.S. Open Cup is going to be determined by those first three games. Um, so they're really important if, if we, if we want to make that tournament. Um, so we have to really shell the Red Bulls. We have to shell RSL and then hopefully, you know, compete with, with Orlando. But those are way more important than they should be. And that might be good for us because then we're really going to show up. I hear you on that, but I'll also raise you that a single elimination tournament is always such a crapshoot anyway that seeding often doesn't really seem to matter because the best teams always sit a few guys the the sort of quote-unquote worst teams although I, I don't really want to malign some of these teams that like st louis or sacramento who always seem to be pretty good right coming they're always going to bring their a game in u.s open cup so i hear you on that and if it acts as extra motivation for us great but at the end of the day i'm not sure that seating is going to matter a ton for us but we'll see also do do we know if if um Pulido is going to be there for the opening game because of Mexico and because he has to go through COVID protocols I afterward? Think no, like, but also I think I don't care because he's going to be riding high from being like on the team again, like stalking. I so I hope so. I hope so. Cause he didn't play against Wales and I'm like, Oh, is he just going to like be there? Also, yeah, he's, he's afraid of Gareth I don't really Bale. want him to play that much anyway because of his injuries. Yeah. Seriously. That's a big thing we haven't really talked about is how far is Alan Polito going to drag this team kicking and screaming this year, potentially. So finally to wrap up this inaugural preview episode, we have Austin FC brand new team matt beasler coming back for revenge against his old club maybe except like all his family's here and he still loves kansas city and we still love him so like eh. i hope we smoke them not because of beasler but because of matthew mcconaughey he's part owner and i want them to go down but we don't know because they're they're also a a new team so i don't know what's gonna happen there um cecilio dominguez from paraguay is really good he has a great great international reputation um at left wing so we'll see what happens there but uh i want them to go down because i'm not a big matthew mcconaughey fan unless you guys are then change my mind i want him to go down but i also want beasler to still be babyface. i don't want heel beasler who like plays kind of chippy you know and like kind of makes this about him you know like when brett <laughs> gets in fights. like when brett Favre was quarterbacking the vikings and playing the packers for the first time it's like Ugh. i don't want any of that i want heroes welcome for beasler and subsequently he's like hey thanks guys i'm gonna try my hardest but i want you to remember me for totally. like being a team hero not haha you guys got rid of me i think this is one example where having fans back in the stadiums with distancing protocol is really good i think in some instances that's been not so good opening too early and stuff, but um, Sporting KC has a really good handle on how they're going to do that, which is great. And I think having fans in the stands for Beezer's homecoming is going to be fantastic. And I really think that the ovation, because you know they'll give him a special um, lineup announcement. And so the ovation yep. he'll get there, I think, will be really great. 
Um, and I think that'll keep the game from getting too chippy. I think we'll also probably beat the crap out of them because I'm not sure. There's not buzz around Austin like there was around Atlanta and LAFC. But of course, we could see, I mean, even Cincinnati, although they were bad, they had some good results last year, occasionally. You know, like we talked about parody, anything can happen. But my final take is that I'm looking for two wins and two draws in those first four games. I like that. I I will even take two wins, a draw, and a loss personally. But like I said, I got to have four points in the first two games, five points in the first three games, and preferably seven in the first four. Hot take, Mondo. We beat the Red Bulls. We lose to Orlando. We beat RSL, and we beat Austin FC 3-1. That's nine points. I love it. Love it. Let's go. Okay, yeah. So we all have different takes. There's nothing new in that. (laughs) All right, to wrap up this podcast, we will say a happy trails to Winston Reed. We never really knew you. Not sure if you got an apartment in Kansas City or not, but um, hope you got some takeout barbecue on the way out. And uh, yeah, bye. Goodbye, Winston Reed. It was a great 13 minutes that you played. Uh, Appreciate it. I actually found an exit interview with Winston Reed online. He said his favorite barbecue place in Kansas City was Famous Dave's. (laughs) Boo. Are you serious, Reese, or are you making that up? Of course I'm making that up. Okay, good. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, it's going to be a fun journey this year. I'm excited to have a full season. I'm excited for Leagues Cup. We'll talk about that later. We're one of the four U.S. teams playing against four Mexican teams. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm hoping that we have really good results this year that keeps us competitive in CONCACAF Champions League going forward. And, yeah, it, it should shape up to be an awesome season. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 